Hello, and welcome to another episode of Walk-Ins Welcome. I'm Michael Russell. I'm Gary the Foodie. Hi. And should we also say hola, amigos? Because we're just back from our trip to Mexico City. And I also went to Los Angeles. Oh, you got to one-up me, man. Come on. <laughs> I do my best. I'll never be Gary the Foodie. <laughs> um, we are going to talk about our pretty amazing trip to Mexico City that... Um, I didn't think I could go to uh, for months and months and months. And then my mother-in-law came through at the last second and agreed to come out to help with childcare. And I was allowed to come and it was so much fun. We ate incredible, incredible food. And I did some cultural stuff that Gary did not do. <laughs> oh, you can tell me about that. I didn't know you did any cultural stuff. He, Michael stayed an extra day. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I remember from our trip to Houston that um, I tried to pull drag Gary to a museum. <laughs> black painting, that that black black solid painting. Yeah, it's the it's the Rothko Chapel in Houston where it, you walk in and it's like instead of you know beautiful Renaissance drawings of religious scenes, it's just like dark, you know, just like giant dark paintings. And I could do that. I think we walked away and Gary said something like. Well, that was the biggest waste of time of my entire life. <laughs> I was like, I found it quite profound, Gary. Um, so before we talk about Mexico City, uh, we did have some news in the Michelin world that seems to sometimes kind of fuel our discussions here. And that is that we had um, some less than, you know, less than exciting Michelin guides came out for Chicago and DC where things kind of kept uh, as they were. And then we had the New York restaurant guide where we had a couple of interesting new two stars. Is that right? Right. I think I've said on yeah, both probably this podcast and right at the fork where I, I like auto mix is this Korean fine dining restaurant from um, JP and Elia Park who also own auto boy. And he, uh, JP was the original chef de cuisine at Jinkusik in um, New York City when they opened their branch or the location there and he helped um, get they got two, uh, stars, two right? stars yeah and when I went to Automix I said I went a few months after it opened I said this is two star level right now and I knew that first year they were eligible they'd probably just get one which they did and I thought that in the second year of eligibility they would get two which they did which is so nice because they're such nice people JP and Elia Park so congratulations to Automix and do you think that the three stars could be in their future or is two kind of where they're plateauing I'd have to go again to see I the meal I had was not three but I mean, it's been a while since I went, so I have to go again. But the meal I had was not three. That's awesome. I mean, I, I went to Junksik in Seoul after they had left. Um, and I got to go to Atoboy, which was is their casual sister restaurant that opened before Atomix. And you can go there and get a three-course tasting menu for, I want to say, like 45 or yeah. $50, which yeah. by New York standards, that is like such a steal. If you're going to New York and you want a fun night out, where you don't spend a lot of money, but you get to go to kind of a restaurant people are talking about. I think Atto Boy is a really good pick. I think Aaron um, from Eater recommended it. So shout out, Aaron. We talked about that before. Um, what was the other two star uh, that made some news? I talked about this before because Pete, Peter, Peter Cho, Sun Young Park, and I went to uh, Blue Hill Stone Barns this summer. 
And it's the Hanok chef and his y- yeah, and his wife who also owns Hanok, and it was it was fantastic. The meal that we had at Blue Hill Stoneburns. I'd been to Blue Hill, New York City. I actually really think that's an underrated restaurant even though that has a Michelin star but Blue House Stone Barns had never received a, a rating because no one was quite sure why we all assumed it was because it was too far from Manhattan or New York City yet the Inn at Little Washington which is about three hours from Washington DC received three stars from the Washington DC Michelin Guide so and then Manresa it's about, because I've taken an Uber from downtown San Francisco to Manresa a few times, and it's about an hour, hour and 10 minutes to Los Gatos. Again, and, you know, Blue Hill Stone Barns is about an hour, maybe a little bit less, depending on traffic from New York City. could be more, depending on the traffic from New York City. And finally, after all these years, because Michelin first went to New York City many years ago, I think maybe 15, 20 years ago, and they finally, finally reviewed Blue Hill Stone Bars, and they and it received two Michelin stars, which it probably deserves. So, congratulations to Dan Barber, who now has a total of three Michelin stars: one for Mich- Blue Hill New York City, and two for Blue Hill Stone Bars. Congratulations! And I want to the, the other thing I want to mention is yes, um, uh, Michelin U.S. Is, U.S. this year has been kind of like very under. Not much really went on, a little bit underwhelming. But there have been a couple of three-star editions throughout the world where I've been to these restaurants. Sketch in London received a, th- a third star th- a few, like a month ago. And I went last year. And uh, Odette in Singapore recently received their third star. Hmm. And Julian Royer and Odette also is among the top 20 or 30 restaurants in the world's 50 best list. And the one that I find most deserving of Les Amis, Sebastian Lapinoy, in Singapore received his third star. When I went in, I've, I've been to all three in the last year. Um, what, what type of cuisine did the two Singapore restaurants serve? Uh, French. And you're saying that Les Amis is a little bit more deserving of that third star than Odette? Yeah, and Odette's is more celebrated because they're on the world's 50 best list, whereas Les Amis is not. Yeah. It, uh, Les, Les Amis is more traditional French. Yeah. And I, I told Chef Sebastian when I had my meal there in January, I said, or it was January, February, um, you're going to get three stars. Yeah. And this is three, this is, you know, you're deserving of three stars. And it was so nice to see him and his team get that third Michelin star. Do you think that there is any kind of, um, Bias? Dis- well, no, oh. I was thinking, like, like, is there a sort of, like, discussion, for lack of a better word, between World's 50 Best and Michelin, where, you know, the Michelin Guide is in Singapore, and there's a restaurant that's top 20 on World's 50 Best, and, you know, do you think that the, the, they're probably institutionally or on the individual judge level, like, hey, yeah, we probably better give that place a couple of shots because if it's that high on 50 best, it should, you know, we, we one star is too small or vice versa. Like it has three stars, but. No, I, I, I no, I think that totally separate organizations where they actually, there probably is some competition between the two of them. Well, I don't know if Michelin has, think they have any competition because they've been around for so long. They have their own their own way of grading out restaurants, whereas, I mean, they have, I mean, they're staff. They have staff. That's who the Michelin inspectors are. Whereas, Forrest Fifty Best is just you know 
vote voters. It's the uh, it's the Uber of um, <laughs> of uh, <laughs> restaurant rating systems. Yeah, they have chefs. There's writers. It's all private. There's it's all co- independent contractors only. Yeah, uh, basically. Does um. Well, as I kind of knew, but also remembered and learned when we were down in Mexico, the world's 50 best had 120 restaurants on it this year. Yes. I'm curious, how does that compare to the number of three-star restaurants in um, world? the world? Yeah. I think they're around 120 <gasps> three-star restaurants in the world. Amazing. Whereas, again, the world's 50 best can cover any any restaurant anywhere whereas mm. the michelin is in Only where they selected, are. selected yeah. areas that's interesting and then i do think probably michelin not place favorites but they probably have older guard french places that are have been three stars for years and years and years and aren't gonna be knocked off anytime soon whereas world's 50 best the the way the judging works um uh as you can explain is you tell the organization what your favorite 10 meals were from the past 18 months and they use that as sort of a unranked guide to. Isn't that how no, it works? No, it's uh, no. The, the, oh, it's ranked. It's okay. ranked. So it's weighted. So the, so so. It's, yeah, it's, all right, all right. it's one through ten. Okay, so yeah, I mean, it's maybe unlikely that you're going to go to some hoary old French restaurant that's had three stars for forty years or something like it. You might Bocuse. you Bocuse might just is, never go back there, right? No, Bocuse is the one example where I think they are the. Are they the longest running three Michelin starred restaurant in the world? Mm. And some say they don't deserve, deserve three stars because he's Paul Bocuse. Because the, that because Paul Bocuse is a legend, that they'll never take away that third Michelin star, whether they deserve that three Michelin stars or not. They would probably they as a Michelin would probably disagree and say, "Well, we go every year and we we see if you know if well, some changes." It and, might be easier now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. When does the French Guide come out? Has it already? This I think year? it comes out in February. Okay. There, yeah. There's a lot of twos in Paris that, not a lot, but there are a couple of twos in Paris that I think may get a third. Go Le Clarence. Uh, I just got it. I just got an email from Sandek Podbielski from Coquine saying, when is your Mexico City recap coming out? <laughs> <laughs> and two, they're bringing back Pasta Mondays. Really? So, uh, I was that was probably my favorite pasta in the city during its month-long run. So if you're in Portland and listening to this, uh, Pasta Mondays are coming back for a seven-week stretch starting October 28th through December 9th. And that's definitely worth hitting up. I was hoping they'd do like a Burger Monday or something different. Oh, they were talking about doing burger, yeah. bur- burgers and burgundy or something like that. That'd so be fun. I haven't been able to do one of those yet. Okay. Now we're off to what we did. Yeah, Mexico City. Okay, yeah. So I kind of explained the circumstances of uh, me being able to get out and join Gary on one of his many, many globe-hopping trips. Um, I gave Michael like a itinerary of where I was going over the next few months, and he got to choose if he could, if he could come to any of them. Yeah, and it was super high on my list. I mean, I think we had a good time in Houston, and I think Gary kind of appreciated that I'm a, I'm a. I'm a Mexican food fan. I enjoy eating Mexican food and talking about it. And, you know, uh, uh, obviously in Houston, some of our favorite places were Mexican restaurants. Yeah, uh, we. I, I was able to. I booked a ticket relatively last minute, and but it wasn't too expensive. I think the ticket was 500 bucks, and I had enough points to stay at a, a, a nice hotel near Gary in the Polanco neighborhood, which is... Um, sort of, uh, I would call it kind of the hotel neighborhood. Um, a lot of tourists there, there's a Marriott, there's a Hyatt, there's a bunch of other hotels that are like 30 or 40 stories tall. It's not a bad place to stay because 
It's right by the Parque Chapultepec, which is the sort of central park of Mexico. And not only is it a very big park, but it has a ton of cultural stuff to do there, like contemporary art museum, a castle, a, hmm, what else did I do? The anthropological museum, which has the so-called Aztec calendar, which it's like this circular thing that they once thought was a calendar. And I think maybe it's not a calendar, but there's a, a, a God emerging from the center with a sacrificial knife for a tongue and two bloody hearts in both of each of its hands. You went, I went and checked it out. Yeah. That, and it, that was the anthropological museum was super, super cool. I got pulled out of a crowd of about 50 people <laughs> and they said, can you show us your ID? And I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, sure. I, I was just kind of like trying to walk along. Like I was part of this big crowd of, uh, you know, locals and, uh, they pinpointed me as a extranjero like immediately. And so that meant I had to pay because on Sundays it's free for, I thought it was free for everybody, but oh, um, yeah, tourists have to pay apparently. Oh, okay. My, how, uh, how much was it? My sort of like unkempt, cool, like sneakers and suit coat and like hip t shirt look just did not pass at, for a Chilango, unfortunately. How much was it? Three dollars. Okay. <laughs> okay. no, I didn't feel bad about paying, I was just more like, I don't want to go back and wait in this other line 50 meters away, you know. Well, I mean. The re- Mexico City, not surprisingly, is really reasonable when you, you go there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. And it's even more reasonable if you don't eat at the kind of restaurants that Gary and I ate at, which are, even though they are reasonable for their standard, they right. still, the higher, higher end restaurants in Mexico City, you're going to spend 125 to $150 yeah. per person before drinks. Um, some of the more like hip, hipstery restaurants, you're probably going to spend more like, 60 to 80 per person but yeah if you are doing street food or if you're going to the places that were featured in the netflix show the taco chronicles which i went to a couple of i mean you're just still you're going to be really surprised by the price because the you know the exchange rate is 20 to 1 for pesos right now and you might spend we went to a taco place i don't know if it's going to make either of our lists but we went to a taco place that only does cochinita pibil tacos, which is this Yucatecan style of roast pork cooked with sour orange. Um, and then this place did tacos and panuchos, um, which are these fried uh, uh, tortillas that have black bean. And they put this really juicy meat on top. We had, I got like two tacos, two panuchos, one tamal, two Coca-Colas. I think it was like $8 yeah. for the whole meal. Um, so that's... You know, and that was in Polanco. That was in the ritzy, touristy neighborhood. I was jokingly calling it El Turiste uh, in my head because it's uh, so kind of touristed. And there were a lot of people speaking English there. And there was a guy who I think might have been like a food guide um, who chatted us up. But um, yeah, if you even there, even in Polanco, that was, you know, extremely, extremely inexpensive. So once you get there, yeah, it, it's there's a lot of value to be had on a trip to Mexico City. Um, so should we dive into our top five? So just like we did in Houston, we're going to, we're going to break down our top five from five down to one. I guess we'll take turns. Uh, Gary, you can go first. Uh, We're not going to do our favorite dishes. I don't think because neither of us, uh, worked that up, but we'll do our top five restaurants from our visit. I'll just make a little disclaimer before we start, which is that, you know, in Houston, I made the disclaimer like, Hey, you know, there's this Viet you know, Viet Cajun restaurant that specialized in crawfish, but crawfish weren't in season and it was an hour away and we didn't go to that restaurant. So our Houston trip maybe wasn't totally complete, blah, 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 blah. All right. 
that was probably a fair caveat, but for Mexico city, <laughs> this is a town of, you know, 25 million people or whatever. <laughs> there are thousands and thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of restaurants. So that Houston caveat is uh, magnified 10 million times here because Gary and I ate at the tiniest, tiniest slice of restaurants. I will say that I think that we did cover Mexican fine dining pretty well. We went to four restaurants that are pretty universally lauded. The kind of places that would get Michelin stars, the kind of restaurants that are on the world's 50 best list and Latin America's 50 best list, which is a subset of the world's 50 best. Um, so, you know, I think we've kind of got a lockdown on, on the current state of Mexican fine dining. Uh, we have a lot less to say about the hipstery places and the street food, uh, even though the places that I went, you know, we did go to some really great, highly recommended places, but it's one of thousands in those categories. So uh, without further ado, what's your number five? I need to give another caveat regarding my number five, and it's Quintanil. I've been to Mexico City four times in the last six years, and every single trip I've been to Quintanil. <clears throat> and in the past, it would have been my number one favorite meal of the trip. And it's still number five. I, I still think our meal was very, very good. It just wasn't as compelling as in previous trips. And in, in, in that respect, it was a little bit of a disappointment. And two, at least two of, the dishes, two of the dishes I had were dishes I had before. For example, we had a mame dessert. And that was one dessert I've had before. And also another one was an avocado tartare, charred avocado tartare with escamoles, which is ant larva, which I absolutely love. And I loved it this time too. But it's just one of those things where, you know, you can have an off night. Maybe it was, a, you know, some of the other dishes were newer. I don't know. Maybe they're really new. They were still being worked on. All I know is, you know, it was just one of those things where I, I felt bad for Michael because, you know, I, I go enough. So I you know, I've experienced Quintanilla at its very best. And to me, this was not one of Chevejo's better menus or better, you know, meals at Quintanilla. So, but still, it's number five on my list. Yeah, I mean, looking over my photos, it was, you know, visually stunning. They use a lot of powders and their, 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 the presentations on these dishes were gorgeous. The, um, uh, uh, the, avocado and uh, Eskimo dish that Gary mentioned was totally fantastic. And um, I guess I should just say that this is number five on my list too, oh. which actually puts a number two on all the fine dining restaurants we went to. And, you know, that's pretty high for me because I'm not like Gary. Fine dining is not what I gravitate toward. Um, my personally feeling, uh, you know, the backstory of Quintanil, maybe you can tell it, but the chef there worked at Puyol. I think that for some people, um, Quintanilla is sort of like the counter-programming to Puyol. You know, Puyol is the place that's gotten all of the hype, all of the love. It's, uh, you know, the chef Enrique Alvera has become an international superstar at the highest possible level. And the expectations that you have walking into Puyol, which we'll talk about later, I think, are for one of the best meals of your life. And I imagine that for a lot of people visiting Mexico City, the hype is just too much. The expectations are too high to really enjoy Puyol. Then you walk around the corner and you see Quintanil, which is doing a lot of the same things, using a lot of 
indigenous Mexican ingredients and riffing on dishes that are very Mexican in their nature while in a fine dining setting. And I think there's a real temptation to walk away and say, hey, you guys, you guys are talking a lot about Puyol. Let's talk about Quintanil because this place is fantastic. And I can tell you the, the, the presentation on some of these dishes is absolutely fantastic. But we also had some misses at Quintanil. I mean, I think that um, the, the, the crab tostada, which came highly recommended by a mutual friend of ours, was not um, particularly great. The crab itself was not good. Right. Um, and that, that just, was a problem. Uh, fresh tenderness would have been perfect for that dish. But, you know, in, in, in for at least, I think at least two out of the last, let's say, four years, Quintanil has been ranked ahead of. Puyol on the world's 50 best list. So there I are, know, but there's more hype than just world's 50 best. There's people walking away and talking about a restaurant. There's watching chef's, chef's table. table on Netflix and blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. I mean, Olvera is undeniably a more famous right. chef than the chef at Quintanil. whose right. name. I don't even know off the top of my head. Chef Viejo. Viejo. Okay. Sorry, chef. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> you're a big fan of the pod. <laughs> I'm sure he's listening right now. Yeah. Um, but you know, if you can't get into Puyol and you can get into Quintanil, I think you have to do it because it's a really interesting moment for Mexican food. I mean, I think that maybe 15 years from now, we'll look back at this as passe and we'll say, you know, Mexican food, Mexican cuisine doesn't need to have fine dining. All right. Maybe you can say that. We'll see. But at this very moment, it's really, I feel like it's really exciting. You know, I mean, it's taking ingredients that were, you know, we, we just talked about Singapore. And the two restaurants that you talked about that got three Michelin stars, well, they don't serve Singapore food. They don't serve Southeast Asian food. They don't serve any Chinese food. They serve French food. And I think that that has been the case globally where the top, top, top restaurants, the places that get the three stars and appear really high on the 50 best list, historically, maybe are French or Japanese, male run, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> male chefs actually like a lot of these places we're going to talk about today um so i mean i think that this was the this is sort of i don't want to say it's revolutionary but you know it's giving these mexican ingredients the respect they deserve and i think if you're a fan of mexican food like i am and you want to go a little deeper and you're planning a trip to mexico city again if you can't get into Puyol, go to quintanil quintanil is my number five too I also had an honorable mention, which I just want to shout out. Okay. Uh, totally the polar opposite of Quintanil and Puyol. It's um, uh, so on the day that I had off by myself. Oh, I know what this is. No, I didn't. I don't even. Uh, did I even tell you? Oh wait, well, the Tocina? Uh, no, 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 oh. no, no. Uh, on the day off that I had by myself, I went to the Colonia Roma, which is the Roma neighborhood. It's this sort of like leafy it's always described as leafy in all these uh travel oh i know what you're talking about yeah (laughs) anyway uh there's all these boulevards and it's like really peaceful there's these sort of colonial architecture and beautiful plazas with fountains and bookstores and it's definitely the place like to go if you're a tourist and want to see a little culture mixed in with your you know whatever i couldn't find a lot of great hotels there but that's where i'm going to try to stay next time i'm in mexico city um, so I, my whole plan was to walk through the park at Chapultepec, meet my, um, my sort of uncle, one of my dad's childhood friend, who's a journalist in Mexico city and have lunch and then, uh, walk around Roma and just kind of hang out in Roma. And that's what I did. And, um, so I stopped 
First of all, at the Rosetta Bakery, which is widely, everyone will recommend this place to you. It's a really great bakery in the Roma neighborhood. I had a pumpkin and like soft cheese pastry that was delicious. And then walked across the street to eat it. And there was this cool like open air mall where there were all these young people selling clothes and jewelry. And I brought some, I bought some clay jewelry for my wife, like really pretty cool, like 80s style, like triangle shaped jewelry made out of clay from this uh, young woman there. There were uh, like Michelada cocktails on the balcony. And then down below, there was this really hip little stand selling flautas. And flautas, <laughs> you might know them better as taquitos, but essentially they're just uh, uh, tortillas rolled up around filling and then fried. And they had some pretty traditional types. They had chicken, they had cheese, they had squash blossom. I think there was one other. And you could get a mix of three for 70 pesos or something, so three or four dollars. And it came in a white to-go paper coffee cup with um, like the sort of taqueria style guacamole and cheese. Um, Very, very simple, very classic Mexico City food. Actually, my very first Mexico City food memory when I was a kid and I went with my dad to visit his friend uh, was flautas from some random corner restaurant that I'll never be able to find again. But this place, which was called Few Few, F-I-U, F-I-U, was just kind of did them and presented them in kind of a hip way with this like white paper cup and the green, you know, everything looked really good. And as I was walking away eating them, you know, several people walked up to me and asked me in Spanish where I got them. So... Uh, those were delicious. That's my few few is my honorable mention for our top five. What's your number four? Uh, first, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Any flautas in Portland worth mentioning? I've never done a big flauta search. I, I don't know. I don't know. It seems like um, I think I feel like it would be they would be too heavy at the restaurants here. I think oh, I, don't, okay. I don't know if they would go light enough with the fry and with this uh, uh, guacamole. But, you know. Uh, I'm not sure. I'll I'll get back to you on that one. Okay. <laughs> Can you Number, pass me that vermouth that we're drinking? Oh yeah. Number four for me is Guzina, Guzina, Oaxaca. Uh, I, I, we went for brunch and I had the best chilaquiles that I've had in a very long time there. The best leudas I've ever had. The, the one we had at Shochi was really really good. I really love these. You can explain. They're they're a little bit different than they normally look. They were cut up into uh, triangles, right? Normally, it's not usually like that. It was like a. It was like a. Uh, well, well, if you would describe a tlayuda as a Mexican pizza, this was a Mexican calzone. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. good idea. <laughs> it was a folded over. It was a folded over tlayuda, and it was stuffed with cheese, and it was so good. And then we had it came with beef. And this is my cheese, number so. three, by the way. This is my number three. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the, one of my one of my favorite things, and Michael, this was not one of Michael's favorite things at the restaurant, but it was my favorite thing was the mamolas with grasshoppers there were a ton of grasshoppers on the molas and my, i think michael was a little, i don't know i don't want to speak for you but were you a little squeamish with eating so many grasshoppers yeah that's really funny i mean it's like i've been to oaxaca and i've eaten bugs before but the context of eating insects at at some of the restaurants that we've mentioned already is maybe a little bit is sprinkled on a cocktail or you have some ant larvae you know hidden here and there 
and it's easy to kind of forget that you're eating insects. But this mamella that Gary's talking about was like coated end to end with grasshoppers. It was pretty intense. And um, yeah, I don't know. I we the the why you're saying that I didn't like it because I said I preferred the other one because we got no, the two different varieties. Like, I think you little maybe a little squeamish. Yeah, too. maybe a little bit. I'm not gonna lie. Well, that's uh, I should probably be a little bit more of a brave. Or what's the what's the Andrew Zimmern show? Bizarre Foods or whatever. Right. I should be more into that. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, no, it's a lot of grasshopper. I'll, I'm going to post something to my Instagram where you can kind of see their little bodies. Okay, what was your number four? My number four was El Hidalguense, which was um, uh, the restaurant that I went to on Sunday with my dad's good friend, catching up. Um, you know, this is a restaurant that I saw on the Taco Chronicles. Mm. Uh, which is a Netflix show that it, I think there's seven or eight episodes. I've watched them all actually, but each one focuses on a different style of taco. Um, and the episode on barbacoa featured several restaurants, just like every episode. And one of them was a restaurant in Mexico city where they are the, the family that owns it and was there, you know, the chef who's in the show is, is there at the restaurant right now, if you want to go by. Um, but, they make barbacoa in the really traditional fashion where there's a pit inside is placed lamb, like all the parts of the lamb and it cooks slowly overnight. And then they pull it out and it's just this like beautifully roasted meat. Um, it was served with other sort of typical dishes, like a style of beans that was really good and a little bit of fresh cheese and avocado. And my, uh, my friend who's, he's a journalist who's from Scotland, like my dad, but he's been living in Mexico city for almost 30 years. Uh, he did a lot of the ordering, so that was kind of fun for me. And I thought it was totally delicious, totally worth going to. I think all the places on that show could make a fun trip for you. Um, barbacoa is something that I really love. Um, you know, essentially it's like slow roasted meat. I mean, you could find that in any culture in the world. Uh, the roots of that barbacoa word are native to, um, to the Americas, but the way we use it, obviously, which to refer to um, either you know, usually grilled meat or sometimes smoked, it's very different than the original, you know, burying things underground. Although that is a style of cooking that many, many cultures around the world used um, from Hawaii to, you know, all over the place. One of the more famous ones in the United States is South Philly Barbacoa. I think, did you go there this summer? I, they were closed the days I was there. That was like my num the number one spot in my list to try to go to. Oh, okay. Um, and I don't know if they do it in the traditional way with the, with the, you know, with the cactus it. leaves. I, I mean, yeah, it would be hard to know. do that in the U.S. I mean, just sourcing the leaves is, right. would be difficult. But, you know, the 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 lamb, it's all parts of the lamb. So you can get some really funky stuff mixed in with your, you know, meat. And um, it was a delicious meal and also a great conversation catching up with uh, uh, an old friend talking about the old days. My number three was something we've already talked about, Alterix. And oh, nice. it was part of the reason is, you know, three versus four versus five. I mean, the cost, it was, I couldn't believe how inexpensive it was and how good it was. I remember looking at you and saying, is there anything in Portland that comes close to the quality of this cochinito pibia? And you said, I, I don't want to speak for you. You could give them the answer to the question that I asked you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, no, I mean, there isn't. I think that, that somehow Cochinita Pibil, when it's translated from the Yucatan to the U.S., 
it just often comes out dry. I don't know if that's a technique thing or what, but I mean, the meat has that can have kind of a, a clumpy, uh, pillowy texture to it. That's it can be the flavors are sometimes better. I mean, Angel Food and Fun, which was Portland's best Yucatecan restaurant for a while, um, you know that even that one I thought found a little dry. So this one where the meat is like bubbling in its sauce was just kind of, I don't want to say it was a revelation, but it was really, really good. And I think, um, it's also kind of an easy landing spot if you're staying in Polanco and you know, they, they, it, I don't really know if is, they speak English or not. It really but. is a hole in the wall. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah. it's, it's all, it's literally a hole in the and wall. And so inexpensive. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, I just sat down on the sidewalk basically. Yeah. And I, 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 I don't think I ordered in Spanish, but I got the sense that you that a lot, they were very comfortable with people ordering in English. So if you, it's a pretty good first stop if you're interested in street food and you want to try a place that's semi-famous. Um, are they even? They might even be on the Eater Thirty Eight of Mexico City. I think they might. Well, be I, I, I'm yeah. It was actually my schedule that Michael. Well, because I created a schedule before I went and. Like Michael said, he, it was very last minute for Michael, so he was willing to just follow me where I was going until he had that one day off where he could do what he wanted to do. So yeah, I found Altariks, I think, in the Eater 38 for Mexico City. And other th- I think I also Googled best tacos in Mexico City and found that place. Um, we've already talked about my number three, Guzina Oaxaca, which is a Polanco Oaxacan restaurant. And... Again, I was kind of following along with Gary's itinerary here until the last couple of days that I was there, but I, um, you know, it's on the main drag in Polanco, which is called Mazarik. Mazarik, and which has all the boutique shops and the Salvatore Ferragamo and the Hermes and all that stuff. And I, I don't want to say I didn't want to like it, but I kind of thought, well, what's this place going to have to say about Oaxacan food? But we walk in and I see what the menu is like. And I kind of got excited and then the food started coming out and it was so good. And I almost wish we'd saved more appetite because we had three things. Yeah. We had the chilaquiles as well as the mamelas and the uh, tlayuda. And I, I mean, in hindsight, I should have ordered more. And I, I'm almost like downgrading it in hindsight in my head because that neighborhood, it just doesn't feel like you would find like really good Oaxacan food there. I don't know why, but... Uh, <laughs> it's one of those. It was, it's just too some, fancy. Well, know? yeah. Some say it's the most one of the more expensive um, areas in the world because literally every single high end shop in the world has a location there on Mazarik. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, earlier that day, I'd gone to the pharmacia because I had diarrhea the moment <laughs> I landed in Mexico City. Practically, um, you know, it's my fault. I had cocktails with ice from the. I had a paloma with ice as soon as I. Got to the first restaurant. I don't think that was it. Cause... I don't know what it was. Okay. Well, anyway. And I said to the guys at the pharmacy, I said, well, hey, is there a, a department store nearby? And they're like, oh, yeah, there's one about 10 blocks this way. I'm like, okay. So I'm like, ah, 10 blocks. Can I walk that far with this diarrhea? I don't know. But I walk over there. And the department store is not like, there's not like a Macy's. It's not like a mall. It's like, <laughs> it's got all those same shops from Mazarik, you know, all the <laughs> Dolce & Gabbana or whatever. I don't even know. All the uh, uh, super high-end shops. Burberry. And it's not even open until noon. <laughs> like, what the heck? I just wanted to buy some running shorts. They would have cost probably $400. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, um, so that place, we've already talked about it again, but it really blew me away. And the Tlayuda especially because, you know, I think that 
my Tlayuda experience goes to visiting Oaxaca, but also to places like Gelaguetza in LA. And, you know, you have this sort of like super huge tortilla that can be brittle and a little dry in a way that's kind of like part of the experience that you have to get down with. And then it's topped with, um, you know, meat and cabbage and cheese. And the cheese is is not always like fully melted. And this place, you know, again, they folded it over and the cheese was like super melted, like a really good calzone. Um, And it just was like they had taken the meat, which was sort of a traditional uh, carne asada and these like round balls of chorizo that are found down there. Um, They'd taken it out of the... um, and put it on the side and everything was just so juicy and crunchy and like kind of texturally how you want it that I was really blown away by that. And, um, the Guzina Oaxaca is an, is a Mexico city outpost of one of the top restaurants in Oaxaca. So I guess that kind of makes sense. I was, um, yeah. And anyway, they're, they're both in our top five. So way to go. I have a feeling our number two is going to be the same. Yeah. So we can actually talk, probably talk about it. All right. Hit me jointly. Contramar. Contramar. Ah, damn. Yeah. He beat me to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that place was awesome. Um, that was our first meal in Mexico City. Yeah, and what a what a blast. I mean, straight from the airport, basically, to the hotel, and then we go to... We go to this Contramar, which is a seafood restaurant, essentially, in the Roma neighborhood. And it's owned by Gabriela Camara, who's... I don't know if we call it, oh, let's call it world famous. She has an outpost. She has a look, uh, restaurant in um, San Francisco called Kala. Yeah, oh, she's super famous. Her yeah. cookbook you can find, uh, you know, at your whatever good cookbook store is near you. It's about, it's the the place was just electric. Yeah. I'd never been there before. I've been, I had four trips to Mexico City. I'd never been there before. It felt like a hip Paris restaurant. There's young people, young stylish people outside. There's cool looking tourists. Um like Gary and me, essentially. <laughs> um, they're known for... Well, let's just stop a second. So we we took an Uber from our hotel area to the Roma neighborhood, and I'm instantly, like, transported to the Roma, the movie, the Netflix movie that was won, uh, uh, Alfonso Cuaron won Best Director for last year and probably should have won Best Picture. Um, that movie's in black and white. But we did pass by a department store that I was, like, sure... This was the department store featured in that movie from the, you know, set in the 1970s in black and white. And I didn't confirm or not, but it looked just like it. So we get out. There's a little guy selling, uh, uh, there's a little stand selling uh, uh, Dory Locos. And I'm like, oh, we got to get Dory Locos, you know, the <laughs> sort of Doritos with all the different gummy bears and chili things. And we didn't get them because, uh, which was probably smart considering how I was feeling the next day. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, we walk up to Contramar. There's people sitting outside. It it just felt very Paris to me, although maybe a little more spread out. And we go in. uh, I ordered this Paloma, which was really lovely, my first drink in Mexico City. Uh, Paloma is usually made with, um, uh, 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 well, in this case, it came with squirt, but you can make it with grapefruit juice, tequila. And um, so in this case, it came with the tequila and a little lemon juice and squirt, (laughs) which is like soda, you know. Uh, Contramar is known for their seafood. They have dozens of ceviches, and they their most Instagram dish, for lack of a better word, is this butterflied fish um, where, that's painted on one side with a, a, a green salsa made from parsley, and on the other side with a salsa roja. So it's red and green fish. It's totally stunning. 
but the fish was also really juicy and it made these great tacos. I, I was it rest snapper. Uh, I think it was. Yeah. 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 Um, just fantastic. I mean, it lived up to the expectations of, I, I mean, a dish that pretty isn't always good, you know? And, and we have a version in Portland that's made with trout that it just doesn't have that succulent fat juiciness. But I, th- I thought he's talking about Chica, Chica Cantina, yeah. which I think is, it was actually oh, good. Portland. I liked like, it. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. yeah, I liked it too. But but to go and have it at the source, it was, was just something about the juiciness of the fish. Oh god, gotcha. it elevated it to a totally yeah. other level. It was um, it was it was um, better than I expected. It was hard to live up to the expectation. Expectation. Yeah. But it, it did and it exceeded it. And you know we had a lot of we had a fair amount of food there. We got ceviche. We got some tuna, sopes. Tuna. Got, um, tuna. Oh, tuna tostada. tostada oh, tuna, really beautiful yeah. tuna. I regret Kier Jensen, who's one of the more famous pastry chefs in Portland, said, "Did you get the X Y Z dessert?" And I can't remember which dessert she said to get. And I said, "No, we just we had." We yeah, had I said to you on the way. I said we need to get dessert here. I know, I know, but we, but we had did have another reservation. To go, go to. Yeah, we did. Yeah. We did. So right after. Um, is our number one the same too? It's got to be. Oh yeah, okay. So number one is Puyol. And I've been to, like I said, I've been to Mexico City six, uh, four times the last six years. I've been to Puyol every single time. This was the best Puyol meal yet. Congratulations, Alex Bermont, who's the chef de cuisine there. And I, actually, the last meal I had at Puyol, Alex was the CDC two years ago. But this was absolutely mind blowing. Um, there are two. There were two specific menus, tasting menus. One was corn based. The other was seafood based. And I had the seafood. Well, I ordered the seafood. Michael ordered the corn, and we shared. And now, Michael, you can. Well, I mean, the bottom line is my corn menu was amazing. And Gary asked me about halfway through the meal, um, where does this rank on your top meals? I'm like of the year or ever. I'm like he's he's like ever, and I'm like. Yeah, yeah, it might be number one. <laughs> I thought about it for a while, um, and I haven't really been able to come up with a better meal than that. So, let me set your Puyol expectations to seven thousand out of ten uh, if you ever decide to go down there, because it was really fantastic. And thank you to Gary, because as we were walking up to the restaurant, he says to me, "Yeah, I don't think you're gonna like Puyol." It's not for you. <laughs> <laughs> so I walked up there like, oh, yeah, I will like it. Damn it, Gary. Yeah, I mean, the last meal I had at Puyo two years ago, I have to admit, I was I was slightly disappointed with it. It was the first meal that I had in a new location, which is absolutely uh, mind-blowing and stunning. It's the location itself, the new location is stunning. Michael's never been to the older location, which was nice. But this one is uh, memorable, and if you get a chance just to just to see the restaurant, it's it's worth the hundred and twenty dollar meal that you have to go to that you have to spend to eat at Puyo. There is also the option of doing a taco omakase at the bar, uh, which is just a flight of like eight tacos, I think, with drink pairings if you like. But I think that's really really hard to get <laughs> like really hard to have a reservation maybe there. it's less expensive too uh, not much really? I don't, I don't it know. must be with eight tacos must, like i don't think it's 12 dollars a taco maybe well let's talk a little bit about why the meal was so good and also i mean 
I think if Gary had just done the seafood menu, because like he said, there was a corn menu and a, and a, a, and a, a mater menu, a sea menu. And I think just the sea menu had a few bumps in the road. And I think that that would have probably not, we would not both have it number one if we'd both gotten that meal. And Gary certainly wouldn't have. Uh, but the maize menu, the, the corn menu, I thought was, you know, like I personally thought it was great from end to end. And the, the meal starts with, um, what looks to me like a dried out squash, um, where they lift the lid and a little smoke comes pouring out and inside are corn husks, uh, that have been, that are smoking around two little baby pieces of barley corn that have had their husks stripped off. And the corn itself is rubbed with a mayo that's mixed with coffee and also chikitana, chikitana ants. That's right. Okay. So more ants. And, uh, the thing that blew me away about this dish is like the presentation where you kind of peer down into the smoke and there's these two pieces of corn. It had both like, I don't know. I almost want to feel like mythological, like <laughs> it's almost like a museum exhibition about, you know, uh, indigenous Mexican ingredients, but it also f- tied it into things like smoked hay dishes at, uh, in, in Scandinavia. It ties it to the top restaurants in, in Copenhagen. Um, but then you bite into this corn is perfectly cooked, perfectly tender. And the flavor, despite having ants and coffee, which would not be typical of street food, it does hearken to the elote that you might find on the street. Um, just the way the flavors, the balance of the flavors. And I found that again and again and again in this meal is that even though the technique was elevated and the ingredients were not luxury, but just uncommon, the base of street, the, 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 the traditional roots of the dishes came through to me like, you know, super clearly. Um, there were not a lot of, you know, modernist bells and whistles for their own sake. The food is relatively unfussy. And I really, really appreciated that. As you, the word you used to describe uh, Chef Obera and Chef Bermont's food is clean. Very clean, and that 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 dish that Michael's describing has been has started the meal each and every time that I've gone there since 2013. And you know, there's one dish that's the most iconic dish, that, even though that's been around since 2000. You know, for as long as I can remember, there's one iconic dish there that is always mentioned, and that's uh, Madre Mole. And Nueva Mole, old like old, it's, what mother 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 mole and new new mole, and Michael, you can kind of describe the rest because well, I've had it, it three it, times, three out of four times. Essentially, like Madre Mole is like you know like think about like a mother starter for sourdough. They have a a, a mole that has been going for a long time, and actually the day we were there, it happened to be the two two thousand and nineteenth day that that mole had been bubbling along. Uh, we are, I, I, I thought it was kind of funny that it was 2019, the year and 2019, the day. And I pointed that out to our, uh, waiter. I said, Oh, that's funny. That that'll never happen again. <laughs> I mean, it's just a little numerical trick, but I thought that was cool. So that mole is like a deep, dark Brown and it's served with a fresh mole that's made that day. That's a more like brick red. And they pour the brick red mole at the center of this dark, older mole that's been replenished over the literal years. I mean, six years, I think we calculated, right? right? 
And then it's served with these really nice tortillas that you brush through and maybe you get a little bit of the brown first and then a second one to the red and you get to compare and contrast the moles. And I mean, it's a little bit of a gimmick. It's a little bit hokey. Uh, but the bottom line is the mole was, both moles were fantastic. And the dish wouldn't work if the moles weren't as good as any mole you've ever had before. And, uh, you know, even though it's a gimmick, it was totally worth it for me. Had you ever had better mole in your life? No. I mentioned to Michael, there's this one restaurant in Barcelona called Hoya Senta, and Paco Mendez is a chef there. It's the restaurant's owned by Albert Adria. And when I went in in December of last year, the meal I had had like, I don't even know, six, seven, eight, nine different moles. So that was uh, like a truly revelatory experience because it was basically a mole. Ta- it ended up being like a mole tasting menu. But the mole at uh, at at Puyol is that dish is truly iconic and it's truly fantastic. If you ever get a chance, it's worth the trip also to go there just for that dish. You made that reservation. How hard was it to get? Uh, Puyol. As long, I mean. You need a little bit of advance time. Well, I always book the day that I, I can actually do book like that. If it's three months ahead, I book three months ahead to the exact day. So I don't, it's pretty hard. Like the taco omakase, it's just, I think is pretty much impossible <laughs> to get. I don't even know how to get. I don't, it's not something that I would normally try to book anyway, but I'd heard that. Well, it's, it's like really a 60 or 80 seat restaurant and the taco omakase is only at the bar. So that's. 12 seats or right, something so right yeah, that's why but i mean i mean this is something this is a good suggestion for anyone who wants to travel and eat i mean just try to book as soon as you can for example let me tell you a quick story i tried to book and michael's gone here sushi show in honolulu one of the best sushi restaurants supposedly in the united states and i thought they booked three months like most restaurants do in advance so I called it three months to the day in advance. I said, can I get a reservation for X day? And they said, sorry, we're all booked up then that day. I said, what? It's three months to the day. And they said, oh, we booked six months out. Uh... And so what I ended up doing was that day changing my reservation <laughs> for six months to the day. So I called back later that day. Hey, it's Gary again. It's Gary again. I'm, I'm now, can you, can you book me on December, whatever it's going to be, 15th? Oh, sure. Am yeah, I coming yeah. with you on that trip? Oh, if you want to come to Sushi Show. <laughs> you can't add a seat at Sushi Show. <laughs> That's it's right. 10 seats, so yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. We also had a, a black bean tostada with grasshoppers. I'm just looking through my photos. There was a, 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 a really beautiful ceviche dish with this like delicate fennel placed around the top, and the, and the ceviche was built into... Scallop, right? Scallop ceviche built into like a, 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 a castle rampart sort of, or, or maybe like a crown. That was really stunning. And the cleanness comes through. Right. My corn menu had a, a, a dish that was this like little mound of wheat lacoche with finely shaved oh. black truffle. Oh, gotcha. That was cold oh. black tortillas that uh, barely come out in the photos I took. Um, the corn. Wheat, oh, wheat lacoche is a dish you'll find at places like Quintanil, Puyol. Uh, Lorea, which is another fine dining restaurant we went to um, in this vein. And it is a fungus that grows on corn. It takes over the corn. It, 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 it turns the corn into this like elephantine gray mass that we never eat in the United States. Although I think you could probably, it probably grows here too. But it has its own pungent, funky flavor that is prized in in regional Mexican cuisine and has found it, its way into these fine dining restaurants in interesting ways. 
that was a super cool dish. Is there anything else you remember? The dessert with the corn cake, uh, vanilla cream, um, cocoa. Fantastic. Uh, it was it was great. Yeah, yeah. I had a, a quail egg taco with mole that was really great. Um, yeah, and that dessert was so good. I, I, I mean, I feel like walking away from that meal and you asking me that question about what was your, what, you know, where does this rank on your best meals and me not being able to find a better one. I mean, a lot of it is circumstance and, and the, the place is really beautiful. It's this like, it looks like a modern art gallery. It's very, it's wide and sort of on one level with windows that are kind of down at your feet. The architecture of it vaguely reminded me of like, you know, Aztec or Mayan sites I visited and I couldn't quite place my finger on why. Uh, maybe just thinking about the way everything was sort of low to the ground. There are these black circular mirrors on the walls which have light behind them that reminded me of a, an eclipse, like a solar eclipse. And um, right in the middle of the restaurant, <laughs> or at least at the, the foyer, is a really beautiful olive tree that's growing out of the ground and reaches up to a square of open sky at the center of the restaurant. Um, we were invited to take our dessert out on the new patio which also allowed them to put some people into our table <laughs> sneaky sneaky um but that was really lovely too i mean i kind of uh this is a so total sidebar but how do you feel about meals where oh come have uh come have another bite over here in this part of the restaurant you know do you like where the meal moves around or come in the kitchen or well yeah i mean i, I told you they would give up our table well, I mean, <laughs> it, 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 a single thread, you start up, um, if the weather permits, you start upstairs and uh, you start your meal upstairs. You can have a number of courses up there. Uh, Quince, if you're quote unquote a regular, they'll, they'll set up a table for you in the kitchen and get a course in the kitchen. So just, I mean, I, I, I oh yeah, um, Vespertine, you move around the restaurant. That Just, you know, I, I enjoy it. Sure. I mean, I just don't want to sit in one. I mean, it's nice not just to have to sit in one spot for the entire two, three, or four hours. Yeah, it's great. They don't do that in Portland. Do no, they? nobody no. does. I no. think the the closest I came was that place in uh, at the hotel in Seattle. That's I don't think the rest Scout. Scout. Yeah, where they take you upstairs for some hot chocolate at the end of the boozy hot chocolate at the end of the <laughs> night, and you get to look out on Puget Sound. That was pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah, we're not ready for that. No, I don't think so. But also, it did feel a little weird to go back to get my coat, and there were other people sitting at my table. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was the game, but um, so what are we forgetting? That's uh, it. That's it. Oh yeah, I'm glad you could come. I'm yeah, gonna... no, it was really fun, man. I really enjoyed it. I had a great time with you, and then you know, I also really enjoyed my cultural day uh, yeah. without you. <laughs> oh, I... <laughs> I never knew these things. I didn't even. I know. had the worst chilaquiles of my life. Oh, really? At the Museo Tamayo. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I had the best chilaquiles of my life with you, uh, which was at Cuisina Oaxaca. Yeah, they were fantastic. And I didn't know there was actually a park across from. We stayed like next to each other in different hotels, but I knew there was a park because I could see it from my hotel. <laughs> but I didn't know what it was. And you said, it's, it's Gar a, "All right, let's just let's just let's just break this down really quickly." If you're still listening, God bless you. <laughs> We're 55 minutes in here. Gary stays in a hotel on Central Park, like on the Central Park of Mexico, on Parque Chapultepec, literally across the street from the park. You couldn't be closer. 
and he did not know that there was a park across the street from his hotel. I knew there was a, something hotel. across the street. It looked like a park, but I didn't know what it was. So, yeah. Well, one of the strange things is a lot of these hotels let out in the opposite direction. They let out in this sort of curvy street in Polanco rather than like facing the park the way I think a hotel probably wouldn't if it were on Central Park. Although on Central Park, it's mostly apartment buildings like the Dakotas, etc. But um, yeah, that cracked me up. That really cracked me up. I didn't know what was there, what was across the street. I could see a bunch of stuff there. It was so fun staying near that park because both Saturday and Sunday, I walked into the park and there were these amazing fun runs going on. This on Sunday, one of the fun runs was like sponsored by Hello Kitty, so all the women were wearing these like oh, giant that's red bows. In their I walked. I the one thing I did was I'd never done this before. I walked. The fun room, like there's you that did. trail. Yeah, I walked it because oh, everything was cl- like every all the cars were blocked off. See, I'm good for Gary. So I walked. I walked for about an hour. Um, there was also yeah, they had cut. They had oh, shut kitty. off the street, but no, <laughs> they shut off the street for another reason because there was what in Latin America is usually called ciclovias. We have it. It's called Sunday Parkways in Portland, but essentially they shut down the street and let people ride their bikes oh. uh, along the street. So that was going on. There was a Hello Kitty fun run. There's just like so much stuff culturally and uh, in terms of getting out uh, in Mexico City, at least in the center. I mean, it, it, that city is so big. And if you go, you know, 10 miles out in any direction, it, it's completely different. But um, I don't know that I would necessarily want to stay in Polanco again, but just being able to be right there at the park and have access to all of that was super cool. Well, I'm glad you can come. Oh, we had a fun time. We really, really did, and I hope to do it again. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe somewhere in America. You know? <laughs> I mean, I, I landed in Mexico City and realized I didn't have cell phone service, uh, so I couldn't call an Uber. So I had to figure out my transport on the fly. Anyway, thank you. That was great. Yeah. Thank you. Bye all. And thanks to everyone for listening. And uh, we'll be back sometime in the near future with more exciting things. I don't think it'll be about a trip, but uh, we'll figure out something good. Thanks again for listening. I'm Michael Russell. I'm Gary Okazaki. Talk to you again soon. 